Earlier this year, I got into the, the TV show Alone Australia. It's a TV series that's been around for a few years. Uh, this was the first time it had been recorded in Australia. Uh, the idea is 10 contestants are dropped into the middle of the Aussie bush. Uh, this time they were in Tasmania. They have some bare essential survival gear. They have to remain totally alone. Uh, they do all their own filming. They have no support except for an occasional medical checkup. Uh, they can tap out at any time. They've got a, a satellite phone and the last person remaining wins. Uh, in this series, almost no one was pulled out because of medical reasons. No one was evacuated because of snake bite or injury. Almost always, the reason the contestant pulled out the satellite phone was because they were alone. They were missing family and friends. Uh, They were missing human conversation and touch. The competition was to survive alone. Surviving was tough, but doable. Being alone was the hard part. Wallabies and eels are not very good company. Uh, In our culture, being independent, being self-sufficient is valued. The strongest are those who depend on no one else. Is this the same for Christians? Uh, That the best, strongest Christians are those who are able to tough it out alone. One of the things that sticks out as we read 1 Thessalonians is Paul's deep love for the believers in Thessalonica. Uh, His love is expressed in anxiety for them. Uh, In chapter 2 he says, when he was with the Thessalonians, he was like a nursing mother to them. In what we read today, he's like a worried mum. Anxious for these baby Christians. So have a listen to verse 17. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person but not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Paul has intense longing. He's been separated, orphaned from the church in Thessalonica. He's made every effort to get back there. Uh, From Acts 17, we know the separation wasn't Paul's choice. Angry Jewish leaders stirred up a riotous mob and he had no choice but to flee. If you look down to chapter 3, verse 1, he, he says, I can't stand this anymore. He can't endure being separated. In these words, we we hear Paul's love, his heart, it's overflowing, it's spilling out. The relationship between the apostle and his baby church, it's not reluctant, it's not mere duty, it's not serious, sombre or formal, it's full of heart-tightening love. Paul is a a worried mum separated from her children. And just one more thing to point out in this intense love, start of verse 17, Brothers and sisters, we're so used to these words in the Bible, we miss the deep relational language. We've got the saying, blood is thicker than water. For Christians, the opposite is true. Water is thicker than blood. The waters of baptism, the sacrament that marks God's people, the waters of baptism are thicker than the blood of human family. This is why Paul's love spills out and overflows. It's why he has a a deep desire for physical presence. Through the word of God, Jesus is making a new community, a new people, a new family, a family bound together by faith in Jesus 
bound together by his love for us and our love for each other. This is why Paul's so anxious to be present with the Thessalonians. And we hear again Paul's love because the Thessalonians are his pride and joy. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Some people call their car, especially if it's special, a sports car or it's vintage. I know a few people here had vintage cars in the past. It was hard to sell them, wasn't it? They are their pride and joy. Your your car, your motorbike, you value it deeply. You love it, you, you polish it, you wash it, you keep it in pristine condition. It's only a thing, but, but you love it. The Thessalonian church is Paul's pride and joy. He loves them. And what he says about them being his crown and glory when Jesus returns, he's not saying that they are his ticket to heaven. He's not saying the work he's done telling them about the gospel of Jesus, he's not saying that that is a good work that earns his salvation. No, the the crown of glory is either some type of heavenly reward, not salvation, but a true reward, or else it might be that having those people with him in the new creation, that they're going to be there with him in the presence of Jesus, maybe they themselves are the reward. Here's a question. Do we think the same thing? Is part of the heavenly reward you're looking forward to is it not only the presence of Jesus, but also the presence of other people? People you've preached the gospel to. People you've encouraged in their faith. Is that something you long for? To be with them in the presence of Jesus? It is something Paul longs for. And it's because of this, this deep love, the Thessalonians are his pride and joy, because of this Paul prioritises physical presence with them. Verse 18, multiple times he tried to return to Thessalonica, but Satan prevented him. We can't say exactly what this means. In the book of Acts, we hear God sometimes prevented Paul from taking the gospel to certain places. We discussed that earlier this year. That was a bit confusing. I reckon here, Satan's stopping him. That's even more confusing because God is God, not Satan. If God had wanted him to get back to Thessalonica, he would have... God would have made it happen. But I think he's saying it was Satan stopping him because he's reflecting on the persecution and opposition which stopped him getting back to Thessalonica. In Acts 17, we're told the angry Jewish mob, they're so opposed to the gospel, they don't only force Paul to leave Thessalonica, but they follow him down to Berea and they chase him out of there. Now, Paul is happy to do hard things for Jesus. He boasts in his suffering for the Lord Jesus. But I wonder if with the intensity of this opposition, he thought going back to Thessalonica would stir things up. His presence there at this point in time would actually make things worse for the church in Thessalonica. He wanted to go back to make things better, but it actually would have made things worse. Satan, through the persecutors, stopped Paul. And so out of his deep, worried mum love, Paul himself can't go to Thessalonica. And so he sends his apprentice and colleague, Timothy. So verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, 
we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. Satan himself is stopping Paul from getting back to Thessalonica, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't say, oh, oh well, too bad. They'll be fine. God will have to look after them. No, when he's physically unable to be with fellow believers, he gets creative. He uses the technology available to him, ink on a page. He sends them a letter, actually two letters, but because physical presence is so important, he sends Timothy as well. In 2020, or like last year when we were separated by floodwaters, technology is helpful. I'm thankful for Zoom and live streaming, especially for those dozen or so weeks we were separated in 2020. But just like Paul's love prioritises physical presence, so does ours. Zoom and live streaming have their place. Text messages and email have their place. But they're a mediocre substitute for physical presence. So Christian love prioritises physical gathering as God's people. But what if you can't? If for various reasons, ill health, frailty, you can't physically gather with God's people. And today we're reading in the Bible about physical presence. It's not to put guilt into those situations. In these situations, live streaming and all sorts of technology, writing letters has its place. But one of the ways we put into into practice Paul's uh, love, the example of Paul's love, is that those of us who are able, we not only prioritise gathering as God's people ourselves, but we also prioritise physically visiting those who can't. Whether someone's unable for a short or long time, those of us who can should physically visit to read the Bible, to pray uh, and to just to be with one another. What Paul and Timothy had to do, that was hard. Look at that map up there. It's a long distance to go from Athens back up to Thessalonica. No planes. It was a hard, and not only was it long distances, there was a threat of persecution. They were going back to somewhere where there'd been serious persecution, but out of love, Timothy did it. And Paul deeply desired to as well. All we've got to do is jump in the car and turn up at someone's house or their aged care facility. Much easier than Paul or Timothy, but equally shows Christian love. And it's worth doing not only for the benefit it brings others. It's worth doing also for the joy it brings us as we see people persevering in faith. And that's what Paul expresses as Timothy returned from Thessalonica. So verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, 
we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see again, see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. What you might expect Paul to say is, I'm glad we sent Timothy because it was really good for you Thessalonians. But he says the opposite. Timothy was sent to encourage and strengthen the Thessalonians, but when he returns, it's Paul who strengthened and encouraged. He's over the moon because the Thessalonians are still trusting Jesus. That's the main thing. He's not overly worried whether persecution or suffering has decreased. He doesn't mention if the church has increased in numbers, if more people have turned from idols to trust in Jesus, though I'm sure he cares about that. He cares about the lost. Now, what matters most is God has held these believers fast. Their faith in Jesus remains strong. And on top of that, there's that little note in verse 6. Paul's glad they have fond memories of him. There's a little window here into Paul's heart, a little window into Christian maturity. The Christian life isn't just about relationship with God. It's not only vertical. The Christian life isn't just me and God or maybe me, God and the Bible. No, love for God and love for his people. Relationship with God and relationship with other believers go together. Mature, steadfast, persevering Christian life includes loving other believers. And it also includes loving Christian leaders like the Thessalonians love Paul. Jesus said as much, didn't he? John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Part of the proof the gospel is true is our love for each other. You can't be a Christian if you don't love other believers. One, John says it explicitly, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Then you might think, oh, he's just talking about hating, but how's it going? For whoever does not love their brother or sister and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. This is why the Thessalonians Uh, Fond memories of Paul matter so much. They could have felt disappointed, even angry at him. Paul's abandoned us. He's left us here to face persecution. Does he even care what we're going through? But that's not the case, partly because they know, well, Paul hasn't wussed out on suffering. He's also suffered for the gospel. They know that he's going to keep sharing. He has suffered and he will suffer for Christ. But they're not bitter or angry because as lovers of God, they love brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why a lone Christian, a Christian who's not a member of a a local church family, that's an incomprehensible sentence. It does not make any sense. A Christian who is able but doesn't regularly gather with God's people, it raises serious questions. It raises the question of how you can claim to love God who you can't see when you don't express that love in in love for God's people, a local church. Now, there are extraordinary circumstances, aren't there? Frailty or ill health. You might be sent as a missionary where there is no church, though the goal there is to plant 
a church, to evangelize a church into existence. And almost always, churches send missionaries to join teams. There are extraordinary circumstances, but the normal, more than average, majority situation is that we see true, persevering faith in Jesus. We see how someone loves God. It was the same as Paul and the Thessalonians. They keep trusting in Jesus, they love Jesus, and they love their fellow believers. And Paul can't help himself. He's so thankful for this, he finds joy in their faith. Why is this? Why does their faith bring Paul so much joy? It could just be that Paul is rejoicing in those who rejoice. Like when you hear a friend has a clean bill of health or they've been able to find a job, you're happy for them. Maybe Paul's happy that they have found joy and hope in Jesus, but I reckon there's more going on. The Thessalonians have faced serious persecution, but they haven't given up on Jesus. And this is evidence to Paul that God is faithful and powerful and God has held them fast. It also encourages Paul because as an apostle of Jesus, his task is to proclaim Jesus to the nations. And just as Jesus said, Paul has suffered for the name of Christ. He has devoted himself, spent himself in the sake of the gospel. And that the Thessalonians have persevered, it hasn't been a waste. The cost of following Jesus hasn't been a waste because God has saved and kept his people. The other week I was chatting with a friend from uni days. He'd mentioned he'd visited a church in Brisbane and he'd bumped into an, an old friend someone who'd been part of the Christian group at uni and been on beach mission with us. That's great to hear, isn't it? That someone you've served uh, Jesus with is continuing to walk with him. And even more so, when I think of friends who are doing it tough, who've had doubts, struggled with sin, suffered chronic ill health, and when you hear that they are still held by God, it's encouraging, isn't it? It's a joy, I wonder who this brings to mind for you. I wonder if right now, think about that person, maybe someone you haven't seen for a while, they're part of a previous church you were part of, and you're encouraged by their faith in Jesus. Why don't right now you just shoot off an arrow prayer to God, say thanks for the work God has done in their life and the joy it gives you. Maybe later today you could send them a a note or a text and saying how their perseverance gives you joy. Though Paul isn't content with Timothy's report, he continues to pray for the ability, and this section closes with a prayer. He prays for the ability to be physically present himself. And then he pray, his prayer finishes not with even that short-term goal, that short-term goal of visiting, getting back to Thessalonica, but he prays with an eternal view. So verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Paul's prayer has two main points. First is physical presence. If you haven't got it yet, the Christian life isn't like alone. There's no competition to see who can last the longest without Christian encouragement, without the physical presence of God's people gathered together. The idea of a a churchless Christian makes no sense. Jesus died to redeem a people for himself. Christian maturity is developed and shown in loving one another. 
And so Paul prays for physical presence that he can encourage and be encouraged by the church in Thessalonica. He prays for for that presence and second, for persevering faith. Love that increases and overflows. Faith that is strong so believers will be blameless, not sinless, but blameless because they're clothed in Christ's righteousness. Blameless when? When Jesus returns. Uh, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians has both a short-term vision, physical presence with them, and also an eternal vision. Because the good news of Jesus is about eternity, our prayers are also eternal. They're about eternity. Paul's prayers, were are ours. Of course, it's good to pray for those who are sick. It's fine to pray for God to send rain or that he'll provide a car park. These prayers express God is king over all and that he loves us so much that he cares even about the little immediate needs of our life. But Paul's prayers have the most important thing at the centre, things of eternity, the reality of the glory of the the return of the Lord Jesus, either glory or judgment when he returns, heaven or hell is on his heart as he prays. And so it's with eternity in sight that Paul's prayers are about growing and persevering faith. What we pray reflects our hearts and trains our hearts. If we approach Christianity as a solo sport, we're going to pray for our needs. If we we realise Jesus is making a people bound together in love, we're going to pray for others and we're going to pray with eternity in view. We'll ask God to continue to hold our brothers and sisters fast, that no matter what kind of things happen in their lives, that by faith they'll be holy and blameless when Jesus returns. We'll pray that people won't give in to temptation, doubt, a bitterness. Praying these sorts of things reflects our heart. It also trains our heart. They train us to love one another with the kind of love Paul shows to the Thessalonians. A love that prioritises physical presence. This is ground-level basic church, isn't it? The kind of heart-tightening love Paul has for the Thessalonians That should be what we have for one another. That's why we did caring for one another in our growth groups earlier this year. That we'd learn to humble ourselves, to be needy, to ask for prayer. That we'd move towards others, asking questions that we might get to know each other. That we'd listen deeply as we talk about suffering and sin. If you haven't read that book for a while, I reckon... Even just looking at the type, the contents page is a helpful memory jogger, isn't it? Our brothers and sisters, I need you. We need each other. Because God didn't save us to be alone, but to prioritise physical presence, that we might encourage each other to keep trusting Christ and grow in our love for him and his people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the work you've done in us giving and preserving faith. Please grow our love for you and for each other. May our church shine in our community because of our love for one another. Strengthen us to love deeply, especially in anxious times. Strengthen us to show our love for those who, due to frailty or ill health, cannot gather with their church family. Please fill our hearts with joy as we see others' faith. And help us to pray with eternity in view that our hearts might be trained 
to value the things of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.